0: What's up, shitheads? We are back picking up where we left off, covering the probable cause affidavit for Brian Koberger in the quadruple homicides out of Moscow, Idaho. A piece of information that stood out to me that I found very interesting was the mention of DoorDash. So on page three of the probable cause affidavit, it states that Kernodal received a DoorDash order at the residence at approximately 4 a.m. It goes without saying, but I'm going to say it anyways, that clearly everyone in the house was not asleep if DoorDash was being ordered and delivered and received at four o'clock in the morning. The mention of DoorDash in and of itself is not that interesting, but what makes it extraordinarily interesting is what comes into play on page six. The suspect vehicle can be seen entering the area a fourth time at approximately 4.04 a.m., When suspect vehicle is in front of the King Road residence, it appeared to unsuccessfully attempt to park or turn around in the road. The vehicle then continued to the intersection of Queen Road and King Road, where it can be seen completing a three-point turn and then driving eastbound again down Queen Road. What just gets me about this is that the car that they are alleging to have been Brian Koberger's and alleging that he was driving was clearly outside of the house at the exact same time that DoorDash was being delivered. So he had to have seen that DoorDash was being delivered, that they were taking the DoorDash delivery at the door, and that people were clearly awake in the house and thus going to go back inside of the house and eat the DoorDash that was being delivered. So if he saw this, why would he come back to the house knowing that they were awake? I just think that that's very interesting that his car or his alleged car was spotted outside of the house at the exact same time DoorDash was being delivered. And what that implies is that the driver of that car most likely saw the DoorDash transaction occurring, meaning that They would have known that there was someone awake inside of the residence, and if that is in fact his car, and if in fact he is driving it, and he saw that, it means that he was cognitively aware that there was someone awake inside of the home and still chose to go back and perpetrate the crimes regardless of that. So I think that that's something interesting and to keep in mind. The probable cause affidavit also revealed that one of the survivors was actually on the second floor. And I think that that piece of information is the piece of information that really threw off most people because everyone was led to believe that both of the survivors were on the first floor and clear as day, one of the survivors was not only on the second floor, but saw the perpetrator. DM stated she originally went to sleep in her bedroom on the southeast side of the second floor. This is the bedroom that shares a wall with the living room on the second floor. The door to this bedroom is also at the bottom of the stairs, which lead to the third floor. And if you were to open this bedroom door, you would directly see into the kitchen and to your right would be the living room. DM stated she was awoken at approximately 4 a.m. by what she stated sounded like Gonzalez playing with her dog in one of the upstairs bedrooms, which were located on the third floor. A short time later, DM said she heard what she thought was Gonzalez saying something to the effect of there's someone here. A review of records obtained from a forensic download of Kernodal's phone showed this could have been Kernodal as her cellular phone indicated she was likely awake and using the TikTok app at approximately 4.12 a.m. There's a couple things about this paragraph that stick out to me. The mention of her hearing what she thought was Gonzalez playing with the dog upstairs is interesting because we know that Murphy was found in a room by himself and not in the room with Kaylee and Maddie. The mention of hearing someone say, there's someone here, is also interesting because we know that Kernodle had ordered DoorDash. We know that she received the DoorDash, and so she would obviously be up, awake, and eating the food that she had ordered. And then they also have cellular data, aka digital forensics, that show that somebody was on the TikTok app on her phone at approximately 4.12. And to me, that sounds totally plausible, that she's perhaps eating her DoorDash and scrolling through TikTok while she eats it. The way that this paragraph is worded, to me also sounds like they think more likely than not it was actually Kernodal that she heard say that because they say she thought she heard Gonzalez say that, but it could have also been Kernodal. And to me, I read that as they think that it was more likely than not Kernodal that she actually heard say that, which is interesting because it begs the question of did she hear this being said pre or post the DoorDash delivery, because maybe she heard Kernodal saying, hey, DoorDash is here. Hey, my food's here. But if this occurred post the delivery, whether it was stated by Gonzalez or Kernodal, somebody heard something that made them verbally state out loud that they believed that someone was inside of the residence. It then goes on to state DM stated she looked out of her bedroom but did not see anything when she heard the comment about someone being in the house. DM stated she opened her door a second time when she heard what she thought was crying coming from Kernodle's room. DM then said she heard a male voice say something to the effect of, it's okay, I'm going to help you. To me, the mention of heard a male voice but there is no recognition or no acknowledged recognition of that voice. Basically, what I'm saying is she didn't say, I thought I heard Ethan say. She just said, heard a male voice. I think that's significant. It's significant because if she did not recognize this voice to have been Ethan's, it is highly suggestive that that statement was made to Kernodal by the perpetrator. And that bears the question of what was intended by that statement? Is that a sadistic statement? It's okay, I'm going to help you? In what way? Helping her by killing her? Killing her faster? I. In what way was that statement intended? As I mentioned a minute ago, is there some sadistic element to this statement? I mean, that. if that was said to her by the perpetrator, which... This probable cause affidavit is suggesting as much. That statement is significant because the perpetrator, allegedly, if that's who said this, took the time to make that statement to one of the victims. And what does that statement mean and why was it said? It then says DM stated she opened her door for the third time After she heard the crying and saw a figure clad in black clothing and a mask that covered the person's mouth and nose walking towards her, DM described the figure as 5'10 or taller, male, not very muscular, but athletically built with bushy eyebrows. The male walked past DM as she stood in a frozen shock phase. Based on the floor plan of this house, This means that the perpetrator got within two or three feet of this survivor. It doesn't matter which direction he was coming from, whether he was coming down the stairs or he was coming from the living room. Either way, where her bedroom door is, he would have come within feet of her. That being said, based on how this is written, I take it that he was coming from the living room approaching her door. And I make that assumption based on a couple things. We know from pictures online that if you were inside of that bedroom, the door opens left to right, meaning that if the perpetrator were coming down the stairs and she had the door cracked, she really wouldn't be able to see very much. However, if she had the door cracked and the perpetrator was coming from the living room, she would have a direct line of sight based on the direction that the door opens. It also states that she opened the door this time after hearing what she thought was kernodal crying, meaning the noise that she was hearing that caused her to open the door was coming from the second floor, which is what allowed her to hear the statement, it's okay, I'm going to help you, which is very suggestive that that would have been the area in which the perpetrator was leaving and approaching her from. This is also, as of what we have right now, the strongest indicator of the timeline and order in which these homicides occurred. I say that because she says that she opened the door after she heard what she thought was Kernodal crying, and then a figure clad in black approaches her, and based on what we just discussed, it is highly suggestive and highly probable that that was him approaching her from the second floor, not from descending the stairs. It then states... The male walked towards the back sliding glass door. DM locked herself in her room, which is suggestive that this survivor saw the perpetrator exiting the house at that point in time, meaning that the murders on the third floor had already occurred. Then the murders on the second floor, and then he walks past her and exits the home. And that is the strongest indicator of the order in which these homicides occurred based on the information that we have so far, in my opinion. And that timeline is corroborated by the fact that they then have the same car, which they believe to be the suspect's vehicle, caught on a security camera leaving the area of the King Road residence at approximately 4.20 a.m. And that solidifies her timeline In her statement where she says that he left through the kitchen because just minutes later that same car that they believe to be the suspect vehicle is caught on camera, which is suggestive that when she saw the perpetrator leave the house, that is when the perpetrator in fact did leave the residence. There is also a security camera at one of the neighbor's homes that at 4 17 a.m., Caught some noises, and one of those noises was a loud thud, which to me, I take that as a car door slamming, and that's at 417. And then the car is seen on another security camera in the neighborhood, leaving the neighborhood at a high rate of speed at 420. So that timeline fits and corroborates her story, which as a result would corroborate the suggested order in which the homicides occurred. And on that note, that's enough to digest for this episode, so I'm going to call it quits here. If you guys are enjoying listening to the situation, make sure to check out The Sister Station, my other podcast, The Sojo Files. I would love for you guys to listen to that one too. And that's a wrap. I will see you guys on the next episode.